Welcome to Flatten the Curve, a podcast that looks at the impact of the coronavirus on life in Wales. We'll be sharing our thoughts, but more importantly, we'll be hearing from the experts and those whose lives have been most affected and disrupted. Together, we'll unpick our way through the science and try to better understand the weeks and months ahead. From Wuhan to Wales and everything in between, this is the podcast to take on the pandemic. Hello, it's Women's Week this week on Flatten the Curve podcast. We'll be looking at how women in particular have been affected by the ongoing COVID-19 situation and again sifting out some of those opportunities for change as we head into the new normal. Still not a fan of that phrase, Jack. I think it's the best we can work with for now. Maybe our listeners can suggest a better one here. But this week we'll be exploring the disproportionate impact COVID-19 has had on women, especially when it comes to the new workplace setup and the way in which the current system reinforces outdated gender roles. But before that, as it's Women's Week, who are the inspirational women in your life, Hugh? Um, well, growing up, um, I was surrounded by women, so I am the youngest of four. Um, I've got three older sisters, so for me, it was very much like having four mums growing up. They're all kind of considerably older than me as well. I'm sure they will hate me for saying that now. <laughs> um, but it was very much like growing up with four mothers, and I think that for me, I've very much taken kind of just some of the best of each of them, I think, and kind of, I've kind of, they've kind of nurtured me and brought me up. So I've kind of taken on various aspects of each of them. So we've got my older sister, who's always been very independent and has always just kind of gone out and worked and lived from home and from a very young age. So I've kind of taken on her independence. Then my middle sister is very um, creative and kind of very much about kind of solving issues, solving problems and kind of just very thinking outside of the box and trying new things and very driven. So I've kind of taken that from her. And then my younger sister is very kind of passionate as well. So kind of, and you know, um, I'm sure she won't mind me saying this, but it can be a bit of have a bit of a temper from time to time as well. I think we've, we're very we're very similar in that way as well in those respects. So I think, yeah, I've just taken on kind of each of aspects of each of their personalities, which has really kind of helped kind of give me a broader sense of the world as well, which has been quite nice. And then kind of my mother as well has always been kind of one of my biggest inspirations, which kind of has been the driving force behind my work ethic. I know she's kind of just worked so hard all of her life to kind of provide for us. And it was actually really sad um, the other week for me kind of speaking with her and we were talking about my niece and how she's not very interested in school um, and kind of planning to become a hairdresser. And she oh, well, I don't need to go to school to become a hairdresser. It's like, and my mother's like, well, no, you know, you need to learn the maths about kind of handling the money side of things and learning this and that. And she's like, you don't want to end up like me. And I just felt really sad because like, it's like, well, you're successful as well, ma'am. It's kind of, you know, you've brought up four children, you did it all on your own, you've you know, provided for them. We've never gone hungry. We've never, we've always gone with shelter, food, home comforts. We've never gone without. So, you know, that's successful in itself as well. So, yeah, kind of just, yeah, always been surrounded by inspirational women and then working with brilliant women as well. You know, a lot of my managers have had, have been women. And I think, yeah, it's really kind of taught me a lot, I think, and the different approaches as opposed to that very kind of traditional masculine boss approach that you see so often in industry. What about you, Jack? I know that working in the Future Generations team, you're surrounded by some very inspirational women, including our wonderful producer, Abby. Um, so, you know, do you notice a difference working in a fairly female-led environment? And kind of, you know, the results certainly seem to speak for themselves. Absolutely. I think I was very conscious when I uh, applied for the job that I 
was going to be working for one of the most inspirational people uh, in Wales currently, but indeed across the world. And we keep telling her that because we, we think that what Sophie, the Future Generations Commissioner here in Wales, um, is doing is, is absolutely amazing. And people want to work for her, enjoy working for her. Um, but this is a, a woman, remember, that has five children of her own who has held many senior roles in Wales um, and continues to challenge um, men and patriarchy and different um, systems of governance around the world and yeah is a powerhouse when it comes to to women's issues and I continue on a daily basis to learn from her and many other women that we have in in the office. I'm very proud to work for an office that has so many fantastic women who on a daily basis challenge me and challenge everybody else in, in the workplace to think differently about the roles that people play within the office. For those who do know the office, we have great titles. Uh, I'm a change maker. We have a digital innovator. That's our producer Abby's title. Um, and those, you know, anybody can go for those roles and anybody can lead in, in, in those roles. And I yeah, enjoy working for Sophie, but there are other women in my life, believe it or not, that are um, equally as, as fantastic. And I, continue to learn from from my mother and who you know one of the, the first to go to to university in, in her family and then uh has gone now to becoming the chief exec herself and uh someone I look up to actually and think you know I'd like to follow in a similar footpath to her I wouldn't dare go into teaching uh, as she did it's not a world that I want to to, to enter into but the the values and the the personality and the behaviors that she she emulates something that I really want to um, to copy um, or to, to follow. I think she's a, a great woman. Um, both my grandmothers uh, equally uh, supported uh, me and continue to support me as well. So those are the, the the women that continue to inspire me here in here in Wales. But you know we're very lucky actually in the role that I that I play and and the work that we do that the office gets to hear from lots of other um, uh, women ac- across the world leading in different fields. Um, you know, the name gets used a lot, but Greta Thunberg is someone I look up to. I continue to enjoy listening to to young female activists and their role is really becoming quite exciting, I think, in stepping into to spaces that um, may not have been as welcoming before. And as an office, we're very closely uh, linked with lots of individuals at the UN as well. So the UN Youth Envoy, Jay Atmo, is also someone else that I um, look up to and yeah, if we can learn from, from people like that, I think that's an important thing for us to do. But moving away from the women in our day-to-day lives this week, Hugh caught up with Sarah Reese, a parental rights campaigner and current member of Team Befan Syed, the member of the Senate. So it's time to bring in this week's guest. I'm very excited to be speaking with the fantastic Sarah Reese. Um, Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Hello, it's nice to be here. Thank you. Thank you for coming and joining us. Um, Sarah, tell us a bit about yourself and what it is you do. So my name is Sarah. I am a campaigner and a mum of two small children. At the moment, I'm covering Beth and Syed um, Assembly members' maternity leave. Um, but normally, I'm... I'm a jack of all trades. I've, I've done a lot of things, but that's mostly because you, um, I was made redundant when I was on maternity leave the first time. And so I just had to try and balance a career around, around having children from there. I'm also a law student until tomorrow, hopefully, when I get my results. <laughs> oh, well, best of luck for that. And um, we're all rooting for you here at Flat Negative Podcast. Before we get into things and kind of talking about um, various women's issues and kind of 
how you know, women have been impacted throughout COVID-19. Can you start by just telling us, you know, how have you been staying well throughout COVID-19? What have you been doing to keep yourself well and active and feeling healthy? Um, one of the things that I've done that's new is I've started to swim in the sea, which is, I've never been much of a swimmer, um, but a friend of mine was like, come on, we're allowed to see people, we're allowed to go out and do something. Um, and we did it and it was amazing. It was just so invigorating and just filled you with the nature that you haven't been able to see much of being stuck at home for the majority of the last hundred odd days. Wow, I think that's the first on the podcast. That sounds really exciting. Um, I don't know if I'm quite ready to give it a try yet. Might wait for the weather to get a little bit warmer. It's been a bit back and forth, hasn't it? So um, I don't know, I might kind of work my way up to that one. <laughs> um, so uh, to kind of get into things, to start off uh, more broadly, um, it's no secret that women have had to face and tackle a number of inequalities um, just kind of throughout history and currently. But throughout the COVID-19 pandemic, um, could you elaborate on the ways in which we've seen a disproportionate impact on women? Um, I think the hugest thing for a lot of the women that I speak to has been managing the closure of schools because, you know, there's been this huge impact where people are allowed to work from home. But if you're working from home and caring for children and educating them, then there aren't enough hours in the day to cover all of that. And it's it's really, really difficult for people to manage. We've known from previous episodes that these inequalities are often impacted further by race and culture. Um, I know, and th again, this isn't new information. So why do you think we've not seen more action in this area? I suppose because a lot of the people that these things impact, you know, we're really just treading water here. Um, there isn't the opportunity to get out and, and make change on some of those different concerns. I mean, how many people have we got in the Welsh Assembly, for example, with small children who this would be impacting? Um, you know, I don't think there are that many that I could name off the top of my head. And those that are have been really supportive of making change on some of these issues. Yeah, and kind of, you know, do you think it's a representational issue then? It's kind of, you know, uh, are we are we seeing in our politicians what we ourselves are experiencing? Is that kind of part of the issue? Definitely. It's got to be part of the issue because, you know, if you're if you have not had experience or you're around people who are talking about these issues that are concerning you, then how are they going to be on your agenda? Um, we're always impacted more by the things that we experience or the, you know, the experiences of our peers, because they're the things that come up in conversation most of all. And if those things aren't childcare or homeschooling on top of work, then, you know, maybe it just sounds ideal. There was one example that really got my goat a little while ago when there was discussion about the reopening of school for four weeks um, and one assembly member or senate member I should say um, said oh well you know there's going to be some ease for parents with children back in school for a few weeks it wasn't a few weeks it was a day or two if parents were lucky um, and you know my example we were given two days in one week for one child who is six and um, three two-hour sessions of 9.15 to 11.15 for the other. Um, we couldn't balance two hours once a week um, around everything else we were doing. It was impossible. Um, and even that, we couldn't marry that up with the nursery care um, because there was no answer from Welsh Government whatsoever um, right until the last minute that said you could put a child in one setting and then move them to another setting on the same day. Um, and these are things that parents like me have to you know, be concerned about first thing. And yet it was just a last minute decision of, oh, we've totally forgotten about that. 
because it isn't on people's radar. Yeah, and you know, speaking of you know balancing the working from home and kind of you know, a lot of people have been homeschooling throughout COVID nineteen. Um, the shift in culture around work and the traditional office environment has been a huge topic for discussion. So you know, what ha- what implications has this had for mothers working from home specifically, and kind of you know. For many, it's been a challenge, but in some cases, it's worked well for people. Um, is this an opportunity that we can expand upon going forward? It's a wonderful opportunity, but we do have to remember that what's been happening right now is people are working and teaching and um, you know caring from home in a crisis. It isn't what I would traditionally call working from home and working flexibly. It's trying to manage more than you, you can are physically capable of on top of what is a crisis Um, and also for women particularly uh, you know a lot of women aren't working in jobs where they are able to work from home or to work flexibly if you work in supermarkets you can't do that Um, if you work in hospitality if you work as a carer you know those jobs aren't jobs that you can do from home Um, and one thing in particular at the moment I know there's been great support for key worker childcare. Um, But that rug has just been pulled from under them as the school holidays appeared and there's no support for children over the age of five um, to get them looked after so that you can go out to work. It certainly seems like that's a big kind of gap in the conversation that's kind of missing that representation as well, isn't it? Because, you know, it's exciting that we're talking about working from home. We can all work from home now. We don't have to travel as much. That's going to have great impacts for the environment, for work-life balance, but actually for some as well. Some people like the escape to the office as well. I suppose it's you, you have different lives and you have your work life, your home life. Some people like that separation, you know, and some people work very well around that separation. And the blurring of lines could cause complications, I'd assume. Um, I think there are times when it's nice. It means that, you know, you could work around dropping children to school rather than rushing off to breakfast clubs and then and then on to the office. Um, but, you know, it isn't just that. There's There's been a really... A lot of great talk about how to be more sustainable with our travel, which is brilliant. But the logistics of me using a bike to get a child to one school, then another child who can't really cycle on his own to another school. And then I'm thinking, well, what would I do with the bike trailer and where would I leave it so I could then cycle to work? You know, there are huge investments in things like this, but they aren't thinking about the real practicalities for parents and how we juggle work and um, and everything else in life. Um, so, you know, to delve deeper into kind of the working from home culture um, and kind of flexibility in the workplace, um, how have, you know, the assumed roles at home of, you know, you've got these kind of stereotypes of the mother kind of taking care of the house, doing the cooking, cleaning, and then the man usually kind of going off and, you know, earning the money, kind of working away and kind of spending time in the office. Um, what impact do those kind of stereotypes have on the experience um, throughout COVID-19? Um, I think that there's a huge impact when it comes to workplaces. Um, I speak to a lot of parents who have been telling me that, you know, whilst their husband's employer understands they have to work from home, they don't understand that part of that means, um, you know, supporting the childcare and the homeschooling as well. Um, at Pregnant Then Screwed, for example, we undertook a survey of parents with children under the age of 11 um, and 78% of the working mothers who responded to that said that they found it challenging to manage childcare and their paid work um, and many of them saying that their paid work hasn't been flexible enough to allow them to complete their work and juggle their childcare responsibilities. Um, 
so we need more employers to get on board and realize that flexible working at the moment means juggling all of those things as well you know it isn't just expecting that um, you can sit at home for eight hours from you know nine till five at your desk and it also means that you might have to cook a meal you might have to read a storybook or you know take part in some of these elements of of what mostly women are having to juggle with which has been to detriment of their career and do you think large there's a large part as well uh, you know large part of work to be done in terms of creating equality there is actually you know kind of not assuming that also men always, will always take on certain roles as well and kind of you know loosening kind of you know i find it interesting in your bio you've got parental campaigner and not mother you know a motherhood campaigner. it's parental because it's equality and you know this work to be done for both groups Definitely. I mean, it's really important that all of these things, we talk about parents as a whole and not just a mother or a father or a second mother, you know, it's got to be about both parents and I'm sick of being in a room talking about parenthood and it's just being mums um, because now they're busy prioritising the workplace because they want to keep a roof over their head because they want to be seen as successful and supporting their family um we need to move away from some of those gender things and and you know really simple things to do that you know my son for example has a baby doll that he had for christmas and you know we support that he loves caring for his dolls more than wanting to play with dinosaurs like some of the other boys his age um you know, it's very funny that he's called it Baby Roast because he's interested in food as well. <laughs> so the baby is named after his roast dinner. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you've just got to let children be and and, and that will, will enable them to grow up to, to not have to fit into some of these things. Um, you know, and coming back to the workplace, I know that Welsh Government have said that they would, you know, they want to provide equipment to enable more workplaces to work from home. But it isn't just about the equipment. That's the easy bit. It's about changing the mindset. And when we've still got a mindset of employers who think that, you know, bums on seats for eight hours a day is, means productivity and means success, then, you know, we're not going to have successful and flexible working. Does this new normal that everyone's talking about present an opportunity to sort of, you know, maybe fix some of the gender pay gap to improve access to higher paid roles and better experiences for women in the workplace? Definitely. Um, I think that a lot of the conversation it has been around, you know, the gender pay gap. And I've always said, well, actually, it's not really a gender pay gap. It's a parenthood pay gap and it's a motherhood pay gap because quite often women are on that trajectory where, you know, everything is going fine and then you have children and you fall off a cliff. Um, you know, when I had my first child, for example, I was made redundant. Looking for a job when you have childcare responsibilities is really difficult. There is no childcare support from Welsh Government until your child is three. So you've got three years of childcare that's £50 a day on average. Um, you know, when I had my second child, I was running a business and um, I knew that to go back to work, it would cost me £2,000 a month in childcare before I'd even spent money on anything else. Um and I knew that that wasn't viable as a self-employed person. Um, so I think there are huge efforts that have to be done and there's got to be support for care um, because without that care, we know that women literally aren't able to work. And it's not just the impact on their ability to work now. Um, you know, I, I'd like you to ask how many women with small children have been paying into a pension. Um, 
because I know that so many can't afford to even cover their childcare, let alone pay into pension pots and things that are going to support them in older age. Going back to what you're saying about the first instance where you were made redundant after uh, while on maternity leave, what what mechanisms and what systems do you think have enabled that kind of culture to you know enable an employer to do something like that? You know, they should surely there should be more protections for women in that instance. There should be, and I work closely with an organisation called Pregnant Men Screwed, which supports parents who are made redundant um, or face discrimination in the workplace. Um, you know, there are really simple things like at the moment, you only have three months to put in a claim for um, unfair dismissal or a tribunal claim, and you know, if you're a new parent with a child that's less than 12 weeks old, the last thing you want to do is go through the process on top of of trying to put in a tribunal claim to say that you were unfairly dismissed. You know, they're some of the really simple things. I know that UK government are looking to make changes to protect women more um, um, from, from redundancy when they're on maternity leave, but that isn't coming in until at least September, I think the next debate is scheduled. So, you know, right now, and in a process where we've, we're taking calls from women on a daily basis who are frightened that they're going to lose their jobs, who are currently on furlough and see the next step as redundancy, um, and there are no protections at the moment to help them. I think your know, protection is kind of, you know, it's an important aspect of any workplace. And um, there were some really stark statistics from Macquarie Teg the other day about, um, I think it was 75% of workers in roles which are more likely to be exposed to COVID-19 were taken by women. Um, what are the implications of that? I mean, especially when you consider, you know, um, PPE is not necessarily always suitable for women as well. We've seen a lot of coverage of that in the media as well. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, there's been responses from Welsh Government saying that they have got the appropriate PPE. And yet at the other end of the scale, we've got people who work in the women's sector saying that there is no specific PPE to suit them. Um, You know, there was a very sad case early on in the outbreak um, that I was aware of working with Pregnant Men Screwed of a pregnant nurse who um, caught COVID-19 and passed away. you know, there is so much that needs to be done to not only protect women, but, you know, ethnic minority women, for example. We know that there are much more ethnic minority women working in the NHS. Um, and 75% of frontline workers who died are from BAME backgrounds. You know, these are the things that, that need to be really at the top of the agenda. It isn't just about women and gender inequality. It, it's um, all levels of, of um, all sectors that, that really we need to think about. And when it comes to setting the agenda, do you think, you know, enough women's voices are coming through enough in that? Or, you know, are they beginning with space to be heard and kind of, you know, are we seeing that representation of women's voices and parental voices um, in response to COVID-19? I'd, I'd like to think that it is getting better. But I know in the early days, I was shouting at the radio when I went anywhere in the car or went for a walk, <laughs> which was a bit strange, um, because there were still reports and every single news bulletin that were to do with sport, even though sport had been suspended. You know, we we can spend every single bulletin talking for five minutes about sport. And let's face it, we're talking mostly about men's sport, but we can't talk about things that are affecting huge um, areas of the population like childcare. Yeah. And speaking of childcare, I'm kind of moving towards kind of, you know, 
uh, childbirth as well and you know pregnant women having to do scans having to give birth and um, you know without fathers I think yourself and the team Beth and um, you've done a bit of campaigning around that am I right in thinking that? Yeah we've well it, it was really after talking to Beth and herself and um, and other women who were pregnant at the time and I, I realised that there are still lots of women who don't have six-week checks so we did a bit of research and we had a really good response to a survey that we sent out, I think over 250 women who are pregnant or had given birth during lockdown responded to it. Um, and of those responses, 50% of parents had not had their um, post-birth six-week check. Um, and this is a really important time when a woman can talk about her health and her mental health as well as the, that of the child. Um, and they're not happening right now. You know, that's half of people that aren't having a six week check. Um, on top of that, when we look at mental health, there were a real lot of, of harrowing stories of parents saying that they have, you know, just become a parent. They're in lockdown and, and their mental health is really struggling, but they didn't know where to get support or how to get support. And so we really would like to see um more awareness raising of of what to do if you do feel that you have postnatal depression or anxiety um, and how you can access support to overcome that because it's really really common thing to go through so sarah you're talking about women's health day um throughout covid19 and throughout lockdown we've actually seen the close down of other services for women as well and um, other screening services so things like cervical screening uh breast testing um, what's the impact on women there? You know, you know, even beyond, you know, there's obviously the mental health aspect of it and the anxiety that that's going to cause. But what are the further impacts on women uh, around that as well? Oh, good question. Um, um, I I don't know. That's a very difficult. One. I think that what I've seen in the people that I've talked to and the experts that I've talked to is that um, where there could be a problem, so say cervical screening, for example, people aren't going forward. They're concerned about going to their doctor's surgery or you know, bothering their doctor with something that they consider to not be important that could be life-saving if they don't get help. Um, so that's, I think, across the board when it comes to health, something that has to happen is making sure people know that they should be coming forward um, if they've got concerns with their health and not holding back because of COVID because that's going to create a whole different um, risk to our health, isn't it? Yeah, and you think you know, this is another one of those opportunities brought about by um, the situation? Is, you know, is, it, is this an opportunity to create more awareness of those services, of mental health support, of you know, support for women who's experiencing postnatal depression um, and other things like that? You know, is this an opportunity to, again, highlight those issues and kind of create awareness of the support that, say, that you touched upon earlier? Yeah, I think it would be really, really good to, to be able to provide people with access. I mean, you know, I, I personally have suffered with postnatal health issues and and I remember Googling um, postnatal anxiety support Wales and two hours later, I still couldn't find any help. <laughs> you know, why don't we have the ability to just have one dedicated um, web page to helping people for whatever their issue is? And I know there are a lot of health issues. Um, but for example, if you Google, you know, menopause support, you know, will you find anything local to you? And that happens to half the population. Absolutely. Um, it's definitely an interesting point that we um, hopefully we'll see some development on kind of coming out of this as well. 
So kind of moving away from health then and kind of back into that kind of policy area, we've seen an increase in the number of reported cases of domestic abuse um, throughout COVID-19. Um, we saw a lot of coverage um, a few weeks ago of the kind of bill being passed in Westminster, like the domestic abuse bill. And what will that mean for women? And what are the consequences specifically for the women who are left out of that bill as well, kind of looking at, you know, refugees and migrant women? I think it's extremely sad that we're leaving out some of the most vulnerable people that we should be taking care of, like refugees and asylum seekers. You know, those are people that won't have access to call someone online. Um, you know, ref- refugee services and asylum seeking um, homes don't have access to the internet when you're living on £30 a week. How, how much of that is going to go towards, um, you know, paying for 4G so that you can contact someone if you need help or call someone who you can speak to in your own language. You know, these are things that are not being thought about when when it's a case of how much money do we have to support different people and different services. And it's often the most vulnerable, like asylum seekers and refugees, who are left out. Um, and that, I think, is is extremely sad. Moving away then from kind of you know things that we're lacking, um, one thing we've seen an abundance of um, throughout the COVID nineteen response is actually very you know inspirational women leaders across the world who are actually really you know they kind of you know bossing the response to this in comparison to kind of some other examples we're seeing across the world. We've got you know New Zealand, Germany, um, you know receiving a lot of praise for the responses that um they've had there, and they're all led by women. Um, you know, typically these countries are worst impacted. But um, what, what do you think are the reasons behind that? I suppose if you look at the women leaders that you're mentioning, so you know Jacinda Ardern, for example, um, these are people um, with quite a modern, um, you know, lefty mindset that some would maybe say, but they're considering the impact on people like children, you know. In Wales, for example, we opened pubs before we opened playgrounds. You know, is that really the best way? You could queue up for a pint, but you couldn't tell a child that they could take, you know, a a safe go on a a slide. Yeah. I think that we have had some brilliant people in Wales, though. For example, Leanne Wood has been pushing on things like, you know, the ability to have suitable... PPE for women when you think of 70% of those working in NHS are women. Um, Lynn Neagle has done lots to be um, supporting mental health services. So I think as well as looking overseas, we need to look at people um, locally who have done great things and are pushing for real change in in our government, um, but maybe aren't the ones who would shout about their own work at the same time. I think that's really interesting, isn't it? If we think about kind of, you know kind of male dominant culture of politics it all is you know it seems very bravado and it's very you know oh we've done this i've done this but actually you know like you say there are spectacular women working in Welsh politics who are just quietly getting on with the work or not even necessarily quietly but kind of just getting on with the work but not expecting praise for it and you know it seems that you know there's a very clear difference there isn't it or it certainly feels that way anyway yeah, and, and maybe that is, you know, one asset. I know personally that for me, when I'm working on something, I just want to get it done and I want the change to happen to impact people in a positive way. Um, you know, I, I really don't care whose name is on the agenda or the news item. It's about knowing that the effort that I've put in has made the change that we need to see. 
Finally, um, we ask this of all of our guests um, that come on to the show. Um, what are your hopes for Wales post-COVID-19? What does a post-COVID-19 Wales look like for you and what do you want to see in there? I think for me, I want to see, there's, you know, there's a lot of talk about building back better. I want Wales to build back equally. I don't want any children to live in poverty in Wales. We don't need to have that happening. Um, and that is yeah, the most important thing for me to just make sure that we have a society that's equal. And in order to have that equal society, you know, we need to think about things that are a little, um, a little different. So, um, you know, that is supporting care rather than investing in, in more male dominated areas. And that does mean looking at things like having a universal basic income. You know, if we trialed that for single parents, for example, you know, what do you think that could do for poverty levels in Wales if if every single parent was given a universal basic income? Um, and, and it isn't only the poverty. Imagine how how less um, stressed that they would be having to juggle all these things that we've talked about, like childcare and homeschool and, and, you know, stresses that come from the workplace if they knew that there was a safety blanket to help take care of them. Brilliant. I think, you know, that's a really great emphasis on the link between um, well-being and, um, you know, financial stability and support. So, um, yeah, totally behind that. Um, thank you so much, Sarah, for taking the time to chat with us. I really appreciate you coming along. Um, thank you so much. And I hope you have a great week. Thank you. It's been lovely. I'm off for a swim now in the sea with my friends. Thanks, Sarah, first of all, for taking one for the team and interviewing Sarah there on your own. I think we're one apiece now in terms of the interviews that both of us have had to do individually. Uh, and I look forward to returning back to the interview chair very soon. But those that I, those things that I've taken there from, from Sarah, you know, the first thing that stood out for me in that interview here was, oh my gosh, she swims in the sea. I mean, <laughs> I really, <laughs> one thing that really stood out for me was the start of that interview. I thought, this is a woman that is ready to take on any challenge. Um, fearless indeed and I don't think I would dare to enter into the sea not well not even at this time of the year when it's slightly slightly warmer but um yeah maybe we'll add that one to the bucket list for flat the curve for us to attempt uh in the future but I was really you know listening to her, I really enjoyed her talking about um talking about representation in politics talking about do we have the right people making decisions who may not be able to fully understand the um the issues that people are, are going through at the moment may not have children of their own, may not have caring responsibilities. Of course, the list continues. And yet these are the people both in the Senate, but also in government who are making decisions. Um, and it's time, I think, that we really understand who's making decisions and find pathways and um, support to get the right people into those positions of decision making so that we have the right people in place to fully understand people's lives. How, how about you, Hugh? How, what did you think about that? I found it really interesting in the way that she spoke. There, was, there seemed to be a re, kind of this realisation that to actually create equality, it's about, you know, for men and women, it's about actually, you know, there are some issues around parental support in the workplace that it's for both, you know, there's issues with both genders there and actually you need to fix both of both of those before just trying to tackle one for women in particular as well. So there's a real sense of understanding of the need of, you know, creating equity there and while trying to raise women up um, in the workplace as well. So it was interesting to kind of hear her take on that and kind of, you know, the issues um, that we're still seeing with gendered roles in the home 
and how kind of you know as you said at the start it's how the current system is kind of perpetuating that and it's assuming that you know mothers and fathers or assuming that mothers and fathers are in the same home you know the families come in in all different shapes and sizes um and there needs to be more recognition of that and again it's just not gendering those roles and understanding that there are a number of complex needs that need to be or a number of complex concerns that need to be addressed um as we head into this new normal and start to change things and i think she touched on some really interesting points of how we can try and do that and kind of thinking more openly and broadly and kind of creating that flexibility that's needed to do that as well. Absolutely. And I think one of the things I, the other things I took from it was, you know, how as society we need to better define what we mean by flexible working um, and that it's not something that we all uh, have in common. Like you said, families come in different shapes and sizes, um, different circumstances. Uh, I think Sarah talked about, you know, women predominantly working in, in jobs actually that don't allow you to work from from home um, and that employers have a role to better understand the that they may think that what they're doing is positive or they may say you know certain policies put certain procedures in place but actually they're not having conversations with their female uh, employees and to better understand their circumstances so it's one thing saying but it's flexible working you can work from home um, but as I was acutely reminded by a staff of ours who said, you know, we're not working um, from home, we're living at work. And I think that's quite a scary thing for, for us to, full, and this goes for women and for men, it, you know, we have to fully understand what it means to work at home with all these different responsibilities. I mean, I don't have children. I don't have caring responsibilities for, for anyone. I'm quite fortunate in, in that way. Um, but I don't think people are having conversations with their employees and really having that one-to-one meaningful conversation about, is it going to be possible? Is flexible working going to work for you? Um, and what can we do to make sure that it's possible for you to continue to work whilst also supporting families or, or loved ones? And Sarah made that point. Yeah, and speaking of supporting families, when it comes to you know starting a family, I was, I was so shocked um, to hear about Sarah's experience of just being sacked while off on maternity leave, and I had you know as someone who's ne- no has never had to you know is never going to be pregnant, isn't going to be getting anybody pregnant, <laughs> um, or you know is never going to have to deal with that sort of thing. <laughs> um, you know, I just had no idea that that was you know kind of the exposure that's there, and you know that that could be a risk for somebody. Um, and that really shouldn't be the case, you know, th- there should be more protections. And if there are protections, clearly it happened to Sarah. So it's not enough what's there at the moment. So that's something that's going to have to be addressed, uh, you know, going forward as we kind of reassess things, as we look at developing policies to support all of these changes happening in the workplace. You know, I was just completely shocked to hear that. Yeah. And I think we've spoken in several episodes, haven't we, about what what during COVID or what because of COVID will change and what conversations can we now have maybe that we've pushed to the side, they haven't been seen as, as important or there have been other conflicting, competing um, priorities and, you know, rights, women's rights in the workplace and in society. But we've talked about um, uh, sick pay and we talk about other things that people haven't have been debating for for years and years and decades maybe because of covid we'll be moving into a much more positive progressive policy setting that allows us to think differently about 
workplace and uh, caring responsibilities and family relationships and how important those things that are. Um, one thing that one thing that the commissioner is pushing for is a four-day working week, and there are others who are who are in that space and and a universal basic income as well to support that. Um, that may allow us to to pause, reflect, and enjoy, you know, that life a bit bit more. And um, but for that to happen, we've got to have some serious conversations about employee rights and workers' rights. And we recently had the TUC, didn't we, who who were shouting for that need to listen to workers' voice during this period. And we can't not have a conversation about women's specific, unique perspectives and voice as part of that narrative as well. But that's all we've got time for on this episode. Thank you so much to Sarah for joining us. We're wishing you all the best of luck with the week ahead. Stay safe, look out for yourselves and look out for each other. Yes, thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed this week's episode, make sure you rate and subscribe. Um, you can join in the conversation on our Twitter at curve underscore podcast using the hashtag hashtag flatten the curve podcast. See you next time.